Welcome to Recess Tonight. Hey, buddy, how's it going? We're in Philadelphia, born and raised. You were not born and raised in Philadelphia. No. On the playground, you spent none of your days. You weren't chilling out, Max. No, and I was definitely not relaxing, really not cool. We're talking nurse-led code today. This was our talk at Recess X. Yeah, we were really, really privileged to be asked to talk on nurse-led code. Um, It's something that I think you and I think is a really interesting concept, and I I think we're really lucky to be able to share that with the Recess X uh, crowd. Thank you very much, Haney Malinat, for asking us to come. That was awesome. Uh, Absolutely. And it's something that's been trending in the medical education, nursing education world for a while. And uh, we just want to break it down for our listeners if this is something that you haven't heard about. Yeah, totally. I think it's a good a good, uh, good piece there. So do you want to break out the history here, man? Can you give us the past medical history of uh, nurse-led code? Well, thank you for referring this two-year-old male to me. I was trying to say it like a consult note, but... Yeah, it didn't, uh, it didn't land. No... And this is uh, where we kind of launched our foray into the background uh, and history of the nurse-led code. When digging back even further, I noticed that Ashley Liebig, a nurse from the United States, had a talk about this at SMAC in Berlin. Um, Her talk was called Doctors Don't Rule the Recess Room. Fan- Ooh, powerful. Fantastic. Look it up on YouTube. It's a great 20-minute talk of her talking a little bit about the nurse-led code. It's not coined the nurse-led code in that talk, but it's around that same topic. Okay, so, th- so that's a bit of the history on it there. Um, what about research papers, that kind of stuff? What kind of history do we have there? Right. So the, the wild part about this is nobody's actually researched it and published it. To my knowledge, Dr. Joe Belozzo from Sharp Memorial in San Diego has some unpublished data about the before and after effects of a nurse-led code. And basically the Coles notes are 7% uh, survival rates for cardiac arrest pre-nurse-led code, 18% post-nurse-led code. It's unpublished, but that's the data that I'm familiar with. And if I'm not mistaken, that's kind of a bit intertwined with his ECMO program as well. But um, I believe the numbers he was talking about were kind of scrubbed of the ECMO uh, component, if I'm not mistaken. Both. He took the ECMO data and then he, so he took all the data, including ECMO and normal cardiac arrest. And then he took out the ECMO because some people were saying, what's the ECMO that's making better, uh, improving mortality? Then they realized it was approximately the same. Okay, that's interesting. So really, we're talking about a call to researchers here to maybe get their poop in a group and uh, look at this, because I think there, well, there's possibly some good stuff that's waiting for patient outcomes here. Yeah, haven't seen any direct papers studying the effects of a nurse-led code. However, there's lots of human factors data out there that's been published. And if you're curious, look for anything written by Mike Loria or Chris Hicks, and they have tons, or Peter Brindley in, in, as well. Tons of info on human factors. Okay, so this is where I think it's important to talk about logistics. It's important to talk about what this actually looks like. Um, because it's interesting, in the number of folks I've told that we're, we're presenting on that, some people really don't like 
the idea of it being called nurse-led code, which to me is just semantics. I mean, I don't care if it's called nurse-assisted code uh, or whatever it is, but maybe I'll break down the logistics so that we can really know what we're talking about. So what we're, we're speaking to here is the nurse is, there's a nurse leader, an alpha nurse, uh, nurse number one, whatever delineation you want to call this, is running the ACLS. So they're running the rhythm checks, the timings of that, the timing of appropriate drugs, the orchestration, the choreography, if you will, of this code. And they're running it in um, the lens of ACLS. And so the way I look at it is, you know, the, uh, you know, you pat the top of your head and you rub your tummy, right? So when a doc is running everything, they're doing both of those. They're trying to diagnose and figure out what's going on. They're patting their head and they're trying to run the ACLS with, oh, how many minutes are we at? When was the last epi? Was that 14 minutes ago? Crap. Um, and so they're rubbing their, their tummy on that one. So what this does is it breaks those into two different tasks for two different people. And I think there's some phenomenal benefits uh, that are there that we can we can talk about in a few minutes. But from a logistical point of view, the nurse is orchestrating anything the physician would like to have happen. So the doc is talking to the head nurse or whatever, alpha nurse, whatever it is, and is giving the, oh, we need this right now. Can you make that happen? And the nurse who knows everybody at play or more likely to know everyone at play is able to look and say, Alan, can you do blah, blah, blah for me? Uh Erica, can you do this for me? And then we have a one centralized command for the ACLS component of it. Yeah, so to summarize what you're saying, Rob, the nurse is practicing to their full scope for ACLS. They're running the algorithm that's appropriate to the patient's condition. So if it's a VF arrest, then they're running the VF algorithm, kind of like autopilot, right? So they'll give the epi, Q5, Q3, whatever you want to give it at, shock, as per the algorithm, give the amio or lido, and this and it runs autopilot until a doc says, you know what, this might be VF storm. Stop the catecholamines. Continue with compressions and shock, and the nurse leader simply just removes the epi and continues uh, running ACLS full stop. Yeah, without a doubt. And and the the important thing to remember here for you know our physician colleagues is that. They have the chance to pull the pin anytime they want to deviate from ACLS, right? And I think that's where the name nurse-led code, you and I have debated about this, is appropriate, maybe not appropriate, because some people will say, well, if the nurse is running the code, then the doc isn't able to deviate. It's like, no, it's just the name, man. Like, who who, who cares, right? A rose by any other name is, is, is fine. Yeah, that's Shakespeare. It is, buddy. <laughs> okay, I'm going to move on because you clearly can't keep it together here. I think it's our first Shakespeare quote in this podcast. Okay. So now I want to talk about what are the benefits that we kind of see for for the code, right? Because these are critical situations and patient outcomes, they freaking matter, right? These people are very, very sick. Um, You could argue could not get any sicker. Uh, So what are the benefits? So what do you think? Shoot. See, it's just it's bigger than just the clinical piece, right? It's actually when we have this nurse-led code model, you're actually building trust amongst your team. And when you build trust amongst your team, things flow better and they they go beyond just the resuscitation. Suddenly, your docs are free to diagnose and be docs working to their maximum scope. And your nurses love stepping up to the plate and practicing to their full scope. 
really truly doing what we've always done. It's like the classic case of when the doc comes in and you've been with the patient for the last 12 hours and they ask, hey, what do I need to do? And you simply just give them the order sheet and say, I've done all these, write it down. It's the same piece. We're just bringing this to a more formalized, to a degree-ish model, and we're putting a label on it. And really, when you work so closely with each other, you get to know each other. When you get to know each other, things get better, and you start trusting each other. And I'm, I'm excited to see what data comes out of this and how this can improve patient care. I think one of our friends from Edmonton, Alberta, Matt Duma, once said, we are beyond, uh, we are at the point where ACLS and PALS and all that type of stuff is at the point of diminishing returns. You can only give so much epi and we don't, the science has kind of reached the plateau. Where we can improve are those team factors and trust. You know, it, it really strikes me as you're talking there about the fact that we do this already, right? Like how many times have you been running a code and the physician will say, okay, so I'm going to step out for a bit. Let's just keep going Q3 epi or we're going to stop the epi. We're just new compressions and rhythm checks. You guys do your thing. Shock the shockables. Don't shock the non-shockables. And I need to go make a phone call or I need to talk to the family or something. And I'll be back in like a couple of minutes. And then the doc steps out and what happens? The code runs really well because we're ACLS trained. We're signed off to provide this care. We've done this before. This is not brand new, right? Like it's, this is already happening. We're just kind of relabeling it. And I think it's a good point to make that naming it before that happens and almost institutionalizing it or whatever you want to call it will actually create more of a healthy expectation as opposed to this ad hoc, oh, oh, I'm doing this now. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you have that moment to think about it, you know, pre-brief it in your head or have a zero-point survey where you're able to think about it, I actually think it makes it easier in some regard. You know what's kind of cool about the institution, institutional thing that you mentioned is that it goes beyond just the recess room, as I said. It also leads to nurse retention and nursing empowerment to a degree or partnership, whatever buzzword you want to say of the day. And what I mean is that there are nurses that want to step up to the plate to own the podium, kind of like the Canadians in the Olympics own the podium. You want to go for gold because you want the best patient care for your your patient, period, full stop. Why, like As a patient, you would want your team to own the podium. So when I say this is, when you, the ramifications of implementing a nurse-led code would encourage those nurses that want to go to that 10th degree to stay, to stay, to mentor, and really take ownership of that. Let's face it, there are nurses out there that will do the bottom line and go home at the end of the day, but there are a lot of geeky ones like me and you that will go home, read about a paper, examine whether or not this is implementable, or how we can change things to make it better. And if you have the opportunity to rise to the occasion to do it, chances are you're probably going to stay at your shop longer than you would if you were kept treated the same as if you were doing the bottom line. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. So I'm going to come at this from a different point of view. And the way I'm going to come at it is from a what's the benefit to the overall patient care 
and the workflow of the physician. Because the doc workflow will be changing if this were to be something that's happening in your, your merge or your, um, your site. And so I think the big benefit is the cognitive offloading, which you, you spoke about with Chris Hicks's and, and Mike Loria's work on that actual offloading of the weight that the doc has to wade through. Yes, I agree. We're putting more weight on nurses' shoulders. But that being said, I am very confident that nurses who are in this spot where they want to do this can take that weight very easily, right? Full, we're doing better utilization of each individual. So what does this look like for the doc? Well, um, at ResusX, you and I ran workshops here, right? And the workshops, what we did is we slapped a GoPro to the doc's head while we ran a nurse-led code. And unlucky for them, you were the nurse that was running the code, which you did. Your ACLS was flawless. It was a flawless victory. I'll give you that. So... When we did that, it was really interesting for me to look at the sim as it was happening and watch even the physical mannerisms of the physicians. They were, they didn't know what to do with themselves at the start when you were calling the shots on epi, rhythm check, shock it, don't shock it, change out, change out your compressors, let's get an ET tube in or let's get, um, let's get a, a extraglottic airway in. And it was interesting. It didn't take them long though to all of a sudden shift their brain to why is this guy in arrest now i have the leash to actually interpret my ultrasound and figure out what's going on and focus on what's up they left the room checked out a medic pharmacological profile or a medrec or whatever you're calling it in your shop to get some past medical history get the previous admission note go talk to the family what did this person feel like over the last couple of weeks it was amazing to watch the leash that they had intellectually and cognitive load perspective to make some great decisions and to create the big game plan, which let's face it, that's a doc being a doc, right? That's what they went to school for all of those years. And it complements very well with our skill set as nurses, uh, recess nurses to push forward and give better patient care. I don't know. I, I thought it was amazing to watch it actually in action. The key word that you said there, Rob, is complementary practice. Because we're complementing each other to make each other better. It's like having avocado toast. Tastes pretty good. But have you ever put smoked paprika on top of avocado toast? Complements it even better. This isn't a cooking show, dude. Like, I've not done that. Is it actually any better? Oh, it's it's actually quite good. And you put a little bit of lemon on top too. It sounds crazy, but I'll, I'll try it. I think one other clinical concept that is often less represented about ACLS is that it is an algorithm to help buy you time to get you out of a certain situation. Very rare, very rarely or seldomly does it actually search for an underlying cause with the exception of the PEA algorithm. VFVT, they're trying to just get you out of that, that disorganized rhythm. SVT uh, and the Braddies, they're just trying to get you back to your normal hemodynamics to give you time to search for an underlying cause. Now, it's like trying to ram a square peg in a circle hole. If you try to just do the same formula for the same thing and it's not working, you need to look for other causes. And this is what the nurse-led code frees up your best teammate to do. 
Awesome, man. I think that was uh, an awesome synopsis of uh, the nurse-led code. Um, you know, I think, like, again, I, we were so lucky to, to be here to to chat with some amazing colleagues from across the U.S. And there were some Europeans there as well um, about nurse-led code. And the workshops were that we ran for nurse-led code were so impactful to be able to sit with individuals down and really just talk about how this thing would look and get people's thoughts and feedback. Um I really hope that there's some great research that can come forward clinically for this. Um, you know, and if anyone out there has heard of any uh, research data, we would love to hear about it. Please contact us at, uh, at Recess Tonight on Twitter, also available on Instagram. Um, we would love to dig into that info. Totally. Uh, we're also at RecessTonight.com. All right. I think that wraps up this uh, week's episode. With Actually, I've got one more pearl for you. If you're going to Philly, go to Jim's Cheesesteaks. Not Pat and Gino's, go to Jim's. This came recommended to me from a Philadelphian. I also just want to point out that Alan has put on some weight for the couple days he's been here. But that's okay because he weighs 104 pounds. So 109 pounds looks fine on you, buddy. You're good. All right. Until next time. <laughs>